Welcome to Tectonic, episode number 28. This is a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. I am your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is my friend, this co-podcaster of mine, Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you? Hey, good evening, man. What's going on? I am preparing for a Whopper today. We have some interesting discussion topics for me anyway, because I've been experiencing some hectic turmoil in <laughs> iOS and it's killing me, man. It's just killing me. But there's also been some silver linings to the experience. And I, I know you, uh, you have some raw experiences waiting for an iPhone. Yes. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. You know, I've, 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 I guess I'll talk about this throughout the show, but I bought so much Apple stuff. I kind of just went on a little bit of an Apple fast for a little while. And then mm. I got way behind the curve and all of my stuff started running like crap. And I, I tried all the tips and tricks that we were going to talk about tonight, but it just, there's nothing quite like a new, new device. It's high time. It is a good time to be thinking about a new Apple device. Even this week, we got new things. So yeah, got the, got the watch on order or rather the, the, um, iPhone on order should be here tomorrow. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, we should go ahead and introduce Brian Brushes back with us. Welcome back, Brian. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. It was episode 10.4 or otherwise known legitimately as episode 14 that we had you on Tectonic. We talked about your background, your career, your experience with podcasting, your experience with and interests in technology. We'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. What have you been up to? It's been a while. Uh, not too much. So I'm actually finishing up my master's program. I'm submitting my final portfolio tonight, actually, after we get done recording. And then it's just one more class to go. So I'm dealing with all of that. Been really busy at work. And hopefully once I get all graduated, I'll be able to get back into podcasting because I've got a few ideas for some things that I want to do in that direction. Mm, maybe we should talk. I have some ideas too. I don't know what you're thinking about, but uh, I have I have ideas. We, we need to work together. Yeah, absolutely. I really like what's going on for um, Relay. I'm really excited to see their own podcasting app. I haven't mm -hmm. really a reason to stream podcasts or to dig into the chats and follow along live, but I really like getting those notifications, just knowing somewhere out there in the world, CGP Grey and Mike are going at it and I can be like, oh, yeah, it kind of gets me in the mood you know, yeah, and to listen to my podcast in a couple of hours. I was going to say for me, I've never actually like sat in during a live stream of a podcast, but that app now with those notifications makes me like, all right, I need to find time or now I have a better idea of when I need to free up my schedule so that I can actually sit in and sort of participate as an active listener rather than somebody just passively waiting for an episode to come out. Yeah. And there is a world of difference having the schedule. I mean, we really have no excuse if we want to do it. It's just like, it's, well, you know, I haven't actually sat down to watch television on a schedule in ages, but now that my children are getting old enough to appreciate good sports ball, I kind of want to watch a couple of games with them on TV. And I was talking about this with my daughter tonight and she was getting all cranky saying, and it'll be boring. <laughs> and then I started thinking about all those commercials and I thought, do I have to get a TiVo just to take out the commercials while we're watching a game? Ah. <laughs> oh. I don't know. I'm not looking forward to that particular aspect. Does anyone know what happens when you're watching a, a sports game on an Apple TV or a Roku device? Do they inject commercials into those apps for those channels? I don't know that. Don't know. Yeah. yeah, sports are the only reason I ever have cable, although I just moved into a new apartment. So I'm in a different recording environment and everything. And I don't have cable here. So maybe I'll actually find out what that's like using. I never watch baseball, but using something like NBC sports or whatever those various apps are. It'd be interesting to see whether they do inject commercials with those. Okay, Brian. So I can put you down for episode 45. You'll come back with a report and tell us everything. <laughs> give us your full review on sports ball on cable versus Apple TV at the Apple TV, the new Apple TV. Mm -hmm. Can I put you in? That works for me. Okay. So are you calling it sports ball? Cause I've never heard that in my life. <laughs> Is that a thing? I've never sports ball. Is it like a homeschool thing for? <laughs> no. no. Okay. Joshua, Google it. Yeah. It's, a, it, it's sort of the mocking term for sports. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> it, it's what the geeks call sports sports ball. Uh, okay. mockingly, you know, no, really. I actually do enjoy a good deal of sports, but it's mostly limited to watching the Olympics, the winter Olympics, especially I enjoy and baseball. I went to the last game of the Braves normal season. 
where they really licked the Cardinals. It was a great game. I really enjoyed that game. I, for my birthday, I went to a game that got rained out and the Braves lost and we weren't able to stick around to the end of the game. And I was exhausted when I got home after uh, like 12.30 a.m. And it was just a miserable experience. So the Braves <laughs> made up for it for me. I really, really enjoyed Markakis. He's a great ball player. He made some good runs. Anyway, that's a different podcast. Sportsball podcast com- coming soon to a podcast player near you. Hey, that's an idea. <laughs> we'll call it the Accidental <laughs> Sportsball Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it can be two minutes long, and we could just talk for two minutes on the sports, and that'd be it. <laughs> and inject lots of commercial breaks just because. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, seriously, ready to move on. There were some interesting things that came out this week. We're recording on the day that these new products hit the Apple website, and it looks like they have a refresh of the iMacs. We have a 4K 21.5 inch iMac, and we have a refresh of the 5K iMac, now sporting the uh, the latest Intel processor. Uh, what I'm actually intrigued by with these devices are the new uh, color spectrum. It's really interesting because in the past we had RGB and we had sRGB, and now what they've moved to is something I believe they call P3 standard. And it means that they have a new kind of red and green that you can see uh, omitted from the display, uh, sort of like optimized for human eyes so that we can see more vivid greens and reds, which presents uh, details that we could never see before, especially with high resolution pictures and 4K, 5K video. (laughs) So you can see more on these displays than ever before. And it's true for the smaller and the larger IMAX. As a designer, I think that this is just a surefire win. I don't really have a desire to have an iMac as my regular station, but if they never get around to updating the Thunderbolt display, I may have to get one of these later this year. Yeah, I actually did. I did hear something about that now that you, you mentioned that, but I did. it kind of goes over my head like new red. Like, <laughs> isn't red just red? But, you know, yeah, <laughs> sounds cool. Yeah. Hopefully they do eventually come out with a revised cinema display. I mean, you're, they're investing all this tech into the IMAX, but neither of these Retina IMAX allow you to put it into target display mode. So I can't like connect a MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro to them and take advantage of the display at all. Um, and it's they're still using like the Broadwell chips because those have integrated graphics in the new... I think it's Skylake is the name of the new ones. Um, mm-hmm. They don't have those from Intel yet. So intrigued to see how much it stresses out these little 21 and a halves to pump out this new color spectrum or if it maybe requires less processing power for it to do that. Oh, kind of like the problem we had with the, the processing power of the iPhone 6 Plus, not able to really handle that larger display and, and greater pixel density, causing a lot of the, uh, the short-term memory RAM crashes where you'd have to go into your multi-app switcher and the apps would not remember themselves. You'd have to start, you know, like reload the app to get it going, give it a jump start, And that was something that always bugged me. I, I, sh- I, I should hope that it, we have a better experience with an iMac any day, but I can see your concern there, Brian. And for reasons like that, and the fact that you have the superior processor on the 27-inch iMac, it's definitely sort of the iMac Pro, if we can say that. Mm-hmm. And I see that that's where the market's heading. Yeah, and they got rid of all the other versions of the 27-inch, so they're clearly fully invested in the 5K approach. Um, so we'll we'll have to see what some of the reviews after extenuated use are. Um, I know Jason Snell had a really great review out today that gave me a good sort of over-eye view of um, what's going on with the 21 and a halfs, but I would like to see sort of down the line after people have been using them for a little bit and they've gotten some more extensive testing done what comes of them Hmm. apple also came out with new accessories so with these newer imacs you'll get the new wireless keyboard or and the magic mouse 2 or the new magic trackpad and a magic trackpad 2 as they say i don't understand why they wanted to keep calling these magic i think that that's a holdover from something of say 2006 or five or four it's it seems like an overdated branding uh, marketing gimmick Do, would y'all agree well it, they could have called it iMagic trackpad so they're, they're, <laughs> it could be worse well considering they're dropping i from so many things and everything's becoming apple and then name of whatever so 
like Apple TV and Apple Watch. I'm surprised they didn't just switch to calling it the Apple Mouse and the Apple Trackpad. And I also just hate strapping numbers onto the end of like a revision. So calling it the Trackpad 2, does that mean now a few years from now I have to refer to something as the Trackpad 3? Or can we just call it the Trackpad? <laughs> I think that the third generation, they'll just call the new Trackpad. <laughs> like they did to the, the third generation iPad. And then the fourth one will just be called Trackpad. And then the fifth one will be called Trackpad Air, just because. <laughs> it does raise a, uh, a question with the with the iPhones. Like, are they just going to keep naming them, you know, each year a different, uh, you know, each every other year a different number? Are we going to get to, like, iPhone 17? Is that really going to be? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. It's, it's, gonna, it's an interesting marketing dilemma. I could see them getting up to 10 and doing what they did for OS 10. Maybe they, they just call it 10 for a while and come up with some other naming convention, like they start calling it a cat <laughs> or a dog, the iPhone 10 Dalmatian, the iPhone 10 Retriever. I don't know. <laughs> if, if I recall, they did that. They tried to do that with the iPad. They dropped the number on the, I think it was the third one. It was just the iPad or the new iPad, something like that. Yes, it was. But then they went back to naming them. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, the, the real shakeup, though, with these devices is the built-in rechargeable batteries. I think that in principle, this is a good move, but it's going to bug a lot of people that you have to plug it in from underneath the Magic Mouse 2. You, you plug it in with a lightning uh, a lightning cable, and it can give you two hours of battery life from one minute of charge, which is impressive. That is really cool. So when the internal battery does die... If you were not paying attention to your max notifications telling you your your Bluetooth device is about to die, you need to do something about it, then at least you get the two hours to finish your workday really quickly. Just to even change the batteries in the current Magic Mouse requires more than a minute or two minutes for me because I have to, one, find where in the world I stored my batteries at and then get that <laughs> darned cover off, which always breaks a nail. <laughs> yeah. Are y'all at all worried about the new keyboards with the new chiclet keys? It means that they're shallower, they're larger, but there's not as much key travel. And some people are not happy with how that works on the MacBook One, as we call it. Are y'all concerned about this experience for your desktop devices and accessories? I know a lot of people use Apple's wireless keyboard for their desktop setups. So could this become a problem? The keyboard actually is still using the scissor. Um, now they've modified that so that it has more like even press across the keys, which you have on the MacBook One, but it's not that super shallow butterfly that they released. So right now they're still giving us the the option to continue having that f a little bit more depth to our press than what you would have on the MacBook. But it does make me nervous moving forward if they're going to eventually switch to that maybe with the Magic keyboard 17 or whatever <laughs> mm. well you won't have to worry about that for another six or seven years apparently that's pretty much how how long they take to update these things uh, the the thing that i don't know how i feel about is actually the force touch trackpad because it's a larger device it has a white surface on top rather than the aluminum tinted surface that we have with the former trackpad I like the size. I like the sleek finish of the base, the, like the, the base plate, which is an aluminum body. I like the idea that it comes with force touch. I'm a I find it very jarring that they didn't just update all of the nomenclature to call it 3D touch, which they're doing with iOS. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, force touch, in my opinion, is preferable. I, I don't like how 3D touch rings, but I, what do you all think? Which is preferable? Yeah, I wonder if they're sticking with 3D Touch for the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus because there's more than just one dimension to the click, whereas with Force Touch, it's really just sort of one push through and that's all you get. Or if they're trying to separate the distinction between like a glass surface versus, although the trackpad has a glass top, versus a, like a desktop device. I do wish that there was some sort of consistent naming structure because I and even Craig Federighi up on stage mix up both of them. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's a cost issue that, you know, I, I would have hoped that they would have jumped to the 3d touch. Like you said, there's more, it gives more, uh, I guess an analog, uh, approach to pressing into something rather than the one or the zero. Maybe it's just a cost issue that the hardware for that would be, I guess, more expensive than, than just kind of sensing something going in or in or out kind of thing. I think you could do a whole lot more with, with the 3d touch, but I guess that's what we'll, we'll have. 
Well, maybe that's something to look forward to for next generation's OS X. I could see them doing something with that in the not too distant future. Is there anything at this point in Yosemite, or I'm sorry, LCAP, that uses force touch? Oh, plenty. Oh, really? Well, so like if you uh, force touch a file or if you force touch a link in the browser, you'll get a contextual menu that'll give you options to like preview perhaps the file or to preview the link before you decide to open it. Or if you force touch a word uh, here and there, it'll call up the Wikipedia page. Okay. Yeah. In, in most cases, people are convinced that they could do with or without the force touch. So it's not something that would be a make or break deal for the experience with Macs today. It's just more, it's more of a feature to like explore the possibilities, but it's not something that third-party developers are embracing. It's not something that Apple has really taken advantage of fully yet. It, it's they're They're just at the beginning stages with it. And yeah, so maybe force touch is just like the the junior version of 3D Touch, kind of like you were saying, Brian, that 3D Touch feels like it's really serving genuine purposes. Mm-hmm. And with any new input method, you always have a lot of trial and error before you really figure out what the best approach to it is. And I do think that this is definitely something Apple's going to invest a lot into. But right now, even in their own apps, they haven't fully explored all the possibilities like in xcode i think the only instance where the force touch trackpad does anything is when you're aligning an image in i think it like buzzes whenever you snap it into a certain like center of the screen for example and then in iMovie you can actually feel sort of the end of clips because it'll buzz to let you know when you're scrolling through and you've reached the end of a video segment but those are just like very, very simple things that don't offer that much value to the user. So it'll be intriguing to see how they try to get this fine tuned to actually line up well with a, a new input method. So I just looked at the price of the magic trackpad, 129. That is that is pretty steep for just a trackpad. Then I looked at my phone sitting right next to my trackpad and thought, what <laughs> if? No, I'm serious. The new uh 6S plus you know, nice and big has a has the 3d touch why not incorporate the phone as the input device to the mac i'm sure some third-party developer has already thought about this they're working very hard there is a app out there i think it doesn't use force touch or 3d touch but there is one that's sort of just like a replacement trackpad in case you can't afford to buy the actual one <laughs> i know they had whole mouse apps from a long time ago but if if apple could do it right incorporate the 3d touch that could be that could be a thing at least an alternative for the people who uh, are waiting for their trackpad twos to recharge for a whole minute, they can just fire up that app. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're interested in learning more, there was a pretty good article written by Stephen Le- Levy that's available on Medium. We'll have a link to this in the show notes. The inside story of Apple's new iMacs, retina displays, rechargeable input devices, a force touch trackpad, and more. Not bad for a truck. And there's some great pictures in here. You get to see some of the people that were interviewed. Um, there's sort of a a beaming, smiling Phil Schiller photo. He's uh, putting on a superhero pose. It looks like uh, some of these guys, they, they look like they were inspired by the Avengers for their, their shots to pose. Anyway, you'll see what I mean when you look at the pictures. Um, next, uh, I want to move on, guys, to some issues I had with my experience of shopping for the iPhone 6S. Uh, Joshua, you've actually had the most troublesome experience. What <laughs> happened exactly? You ordered, you pre-ordered your iPhone like forever ago. I, of course, have one of the oldest iPhones on the planet, the iPhone 5. Not the iPhone 5S, the iPhone 5. I was pretty satisfied with it until we started doing this podcast, and then I suddenly got unsatisfied. Uh, <laughs> So I blame you. So I've really wanted a new iPhone. And, you know, when it came out, I said, fine, give me, you know, here's my credit card. Just give me the new iPhone as soon as possible. And they, they announced the, the, uh, the, the first day it was going to uh, launch and I was fine with that. And it said the shipping day was the day that I was going to be at the beach with you, mm-hmm. uh, as we talked about two weeks ago. So it completely ruined my, my pre-order. Like I didn't want to stay up until 2 a.m. pre-order and then have delivery issues. So I thought, well, I'll just wait a few days, then I'll order. And sure enough, Apple's the 6S Plus four-week wait. So I was I was up the creek, as they say. So I, I finally ended up ordering on Verizon just because they had a three-week wait versus a four-week wait. So all of that to say, I will have a new iPhone tomorrow. 
it's been rough. Well, it does seem like the 6S Plus is the more popular between the 6S models. I'm not sure about that. Oh, yeah. But from what I'm hearing around, that seems to be true. Well, I, I don't know what the uh, what the productions were, but I mean, the I could have gotten the 6 by now, but or the 6S, but the uh, the Plus version on all colors, all I was going to take like a pink one and a 128. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Just give me, <laughs> give me my phone. Uh, but I couldn't get anything in, four, in like four weeks, so... And then you found out they were calling it bros gold and it became more hip. And you were like, yes, I gotta have it. I actually, I actually, I don't know if I'll, I'll ever get one, but I actually do kind of like it. I don't know. It's not a bad color. And it's nice to see that the iPhones in their metallic form actually have some color, like a gold finish, a silver finish and black finish don't really feel like colors to me. I know that they are colors, but they just don't seem like colors to me. Uh, something on the rainbow spectrum is what I think of in terms of colors. And even though Rose is trying to attract a particular kind of style, flair, and customer, and it's it's just the beginnings of maybe a future I could see down the road where we have colors that are a bit more like the iPod minis of yesteryear where they had aluminum bodies, but you could get them in rainbow colors. And I would prefer those colors if they could pull them off far more than the plastic uh, sort of uh, fruity colors of the five C's. I would like to see them explore that on the iPhone seven models. Maybe, maybe we could get a, a blue and a red or a product red color. I don't know. If, if they make an orange, I will throw all of my money at them. <laughs> there you go. Brian said it guys. Come on, Johnny, get on it. <laughs> now you got one too though, right? Uh, Brian, you actually got your six plus already. Yeah. So I had ordered a success plus and it was, I was going to pre-order, but then I hesitated for a little bit. I was like, I'm not really sure I'm sold on the changes. And after spending some more time thinking about it, I did end up ordering it and it just showed up a couple of days ago, actually. And I had a six before. So going to the plus took a bit of adjustment, but now when I look at my six, it just feels tiny and dwarf and I'm really, really happy with this phone. Interesting. So wait, 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 you didn't even want an upgrade, but you ordered <laughs> and you got the plus already? <laughs> yes. So I, I felt so bad telling you that after <sighs> hearing your story. Yeah. Joe did the same thing to me. He's got a six plus and, and he's like, yeah, I don't want to upgrade. Then all of a sudden, yeah, I upgraded it. I'm like, what? <laughs> exactly. So you heard it from Joshua first. I'm holding my 6s right here so brian i went the other way around i had the 6 plus and i was in the store looking at the models and i was like you know i didn't really get any time with the 6 and i don't really know what i think about that form factor i know what i think of the iphone 6 plus and its form factor which i do like a lot so i'll go with the 6s this time they essentially have the same form factors of virtually the same weight and feel the same there's a lot of polarizing opinions about these two form factors, the 6S and the and the 6S Plus. There's still people that feel adamant about the extra screen real estate, that it's such a better device to have the Plus, and the better battery life, and getting the image st stabilization, which you have as an optical shaky cam stabilization on the 6S Plus model and the original 6 Plus model. I think that those are all winning features. But when it comes to the form factor, it's so much easier in the hand to hold the regular six models so that it's just more pocketable. It, it feels more comfortable in your pocket. It's more comfortable in the hand to reach around the display. And sure, the battery does die faster, which we'll get to in a little bit when we, we get on to our next topic. But um, I wanted to point out, I had this, this horrible experience making the switch from my 6 Plus to the 6S. Strap in, guys. This is what not to do <laughs> with your iCloud backups. Don't Listen to Joe. Seriously, here's what happened. I was in the T-Mobile just thinking, let's see what my options are. How much is it going to cost me? I, I don't really want to buy a phone, but let, let's just see. And I talked to the guy. He says, well, you need to pay X amount. On so you asked the salesman whether you needed a new phone, and, <laughs> and he said yes? Is that what? And, and I believed him. Can I just fast forward here? And, and so the salesman said yes. And, okay. <laughs> no, it was a little bit more complicated than that. He, uh, if he was a salesman, he was really sly about it because he was at first trying to talk me out of it. At least it seemed that way. <laughs> 
That's totally a that's totally a thing that they do. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, Joshua. That's a technique. All right. Uh, you, you, everything will be revealed. He says you need to pay seventy five dollars or so off of your six plus before you're eligible for the upgrade using the jump program. But then you also have to pay the taxes, so it's going to be more like a hundred dollars plus before you can make the jump to the six S or the six S plus. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that doesn't sound interesting to me today. And when would I get to that point naturally if I just keep paying my regular bill? And he said, in December. And I was like, yeah, if I want to upgrade to a success, I can wait till December. I could call that a Christmas gift to myself. And while we were talking, my son comes into the T-Mobile and he says, daddy, I got to use the restroom. So I'm like, I don't even think that T-Mobile has a restroom, son. And then the guy's like, oh yeah, we have one right over here. Your son can use. So my son goes for the restroom and I'm just waiting. Meanwhile, the guy says, oh, there is a special going on. Do you know about the special? And I say, no, tell me more. And he explains, if you upgraded today, you would not have to pay the same monthly amount on the hardware that you are currently. Currently, you're paying $27 for the hardware of your 6 Plus every month. If you go for the 6S or 6S Plus today, the special that only runs through the end of the month is that we will drop your monthly bill for the hardware to $8 a month. And you never technically have to finish paying it off because if you decide to upgrade to this this seven next year, you just you've paid less of the phone. In, in in the end, it all works out. You may you you have a win because you just didn't spend as much on your success. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's strange some of the pricing structures with these new contracts where it's not like you pay up front. I almost right. And you don't have to finish paying it off in order to make the upgrade to the next model. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, this offer only stands for this month, so I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so that's why I got my success. And I'm so sorry, Joshua. No, that was, that was a great uh, sales technique. Basically, oh, no, this phone, this phone isn't for you. I mean, this is for someone <laughs> else. You don't need this phone. I mean, it's, it's classic. It's, it's great. But I'm glad you got your phone, and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I've been thoroughly enjoying it. I think I like both sizes for the record. The Plus is great for who enjoys it. I don't think that there's a wrong choice here to be made, but my personal taste is leaning in the favor of the standard six size model. I I just like it how it feels in my hand. That's the rest of the story. I wanted to explain now the rough side of this story and uh, moving to this new device how everything went wrong when I tried to move all of my data to the new phone. Brian, did you experience any problems moving your, you know, like some backup copy of your phone to the new one, or did you just make a fresh, clean, new install? Um, so it's actually a debate I have with myself every time I get a new device is whether to restore from a backup or just start fresh. Um, and this time I restored from an iCloud backup and I had no issues on the phone. However, my watch was very unhappy. So that was its own long fight in the middle of the night. Yes. Did you, were you able to eventually get it though? Um, yeah, it was, I was incredibly tired, but was not able to sleep. And so it was actually like at midnight, I was like, I'll go ahead and try to get this watch set up because when I had tried a couple hours before it was giving me some issues. And then about three hours later, I finally got it to work, I think. So I went through multiple restores of the watch and even of my phone before I got anything to talk to each other. So I would think that all of the watch stuff is held within the watch app and all of that data. Is that not true? It's not, it's, it's actually put on the iPhone, isn't it? Yeah, it's stored. So the backup of the watch is actually stored on the phone. Mm. And so my backup for the watch was technically stored in my iCloud backup. And so I don't know if the issue with the connection was that maybe my iCloud backup wasn't finished downloading. And part of what it hadn't finished was the Apple watches backup very like convoluted and it's not clear to the user whether like the Apple watch app and the backup stored within it are ready to be loaded. Hmm. So like, what are the huge things with the watch that you needed? I mean, I guess, I guess there's a lot of different notifications and and apps and things like that, but like uh, beyond that, like I just got to watch a week ago, so I'm I'm still setting it up, learning things. So I probably won't worry about it tomorrow, but uh, I guess I'm just wondering like, what's the big deal about resetting up the watch? Like, 
rather than restoring your phone a few times, that seems like more of a hassle. Yeah, I th- I'm not entirely sure what the benefit was. I've made like a lot of customizations to the watch and they talk about how it's the most personal device ever. And so like I have my complications set up just the way I like them and I've removed a bunch of the watch faces that I wasn't going to use and I'd arranged the apps in the way that I want. And I'm curious as to how much of that is saved in the backup versus just like automatically put back on from the Apple watch app settings. Oh, I see. Don't know. And that was one of the debates where I then actually tried. I was like, I'm just going to give up on the backup and just restore it fresh. But then it wouldn't pair with my phone. Oh goodness. Um, so after doing that for like another 30 minutes, I was like, well, if it's going to take me this long, I might as well just go back to restoring from my backup. The other thing that it's backing up is all of the activity. So if you care about closing those rings and you don't have a backup that works, they're gone. Mm-hmm. And that drove me crazy. Mm, that's unfortunate. So I might as well tell you what happened. So the night before I went to the T-Mobile store, I randomly happened to run backups on uh, all of my devices, like I always do. Kind of knowing I was going to the T-Mobile store just in case I wanted to have backups so I ran the iCloud backups like like you would at any night. You just plug in and it goes. So when I was in the T-Mobile store, I thought, I'm in the clear. Everything's going to be fine. And we start to reset, erase my 6 Plus and get ready for the move to success. When he turns on the device, hands it to me with its new SIM, I ask him, how good is the Wi-Fi in here if I wanted to restore my backup on iCloud from here. And he said, it's pretty bad. It could take you hours. So I lived 20 minutes away from the T-Mobile store. I decided to go home. And and upon getting home, I connect to the Wi-Fi and it says, do you want to use a restore from iCloud? And I said, yes. Then it said, oh, here's a problem though. This 6S out of the box is running iOS Mm 9.0. And the backup copy you have is running iOS 9.0.1. You have to have that in order to install the backup. Okay then, so what I do is I go into settings, I go to general, I go to updates, and I say update this device. And it says, yes, there is an update available to you. It is 9.0.2. I'm like, okay, go ahead and install that. I have to have that in order to get to my backup. And a little while later, it's now got that in the phone. I go back to my iCloud, I go back to the backup, and I say, you know, install this backup. And it says, oh, snap, you're you're using iOS 9.0.2, and this backup is for iOS 9.0.1. You cannot use this. Wow. That's, yeah, that's pretty bad. I That was it. It, it was game over. There, there was no way that I could go back. So then I went to my iMac to check on my local backups on iTunes, it says the last time you backed up your iPhone was July the 30th. <laughs> and with that, I said, okay, oh, uh, I'm hating iCloud. I'm hating <laughs> the update process. Oh, and I had to start from scratch use it like it was a new device, sign into everything anew. As you can imagine, it was not the worst experience in the world because I still had copies of all my photos and videos elsewhere. I have all my documents everywhere elsewhere. I have one password, so I didn't lose any of my account credentials, and I was able to log back into accounts and stuff. Where it really hurt me, three hours later, after getting my phone into working order and my, uh, my home screen apps arranged the way I would like them, was the realization that I could not pair my watch to this device without erasing the watch because it was thinking that it was still connected to my iPhone 6 Plus. If you're going to connect to a new device, you have to have a backup on that device, which I don't have on this new phone. So I'd have to erase the watch in order to pair it to the new device. And in so doing, I lost all of my activity tracking since May. And that was a lot of closed rings, all gone. Wow. I mean, beyond the closed rings, that experience is terrible. And if I had Apple stock, I might sell it right now because that's just, that is huge. If you, if you get confused on this and, and like Brian had issues as well, I mean, the average user is going to be very frustrated. That is very, very shocking. Yeah. It's especially shocking since one of the reasons I switched to using Apple and became such a fan was that whole, you know, it just works. Everyone always said that statement and it does seem like now 
with some of the software changes, um, there are a lot of like flaws in sort of the ease of getting it set up. Um, whereas like my Mac, that is the easiest thing in the world. I can plug it into a previous Mac or just pull up a time machine backup. And after a few hours of it, pulling information in, it's all set and ready to go and it's seamless. But with the iOS and watchOS devices, it does not seem like it's been fully th- thought out about the upgrade process. Right. The fact that the the backups would be thrown by like a point zero point one backup. I mean that that blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We have to fear for you now, Joshua. Don't get ahead of yourself tomorrow. Well, yeah. Thankfully, I, I've already think plan. I planned on just setting it up as a new thing. Like, and I, I've not gotten too personal with my my watch yet. So I'll just unpair it. I will set up the new phone, pair it with the watch, and and start fresh. So I'm not too concerned. Everything important is already in the cloud, so I I shouldn't have an issue. Do you think that you'll run a clean install or will you use a backup for the new phone? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just turn it on and and set it up as a new, new phone and go from there. Okay. You have a lot to look forward to. I think you should explore the new things you can do with Siri. She's much more powerful now. Yeah, so the revisions to Siri with iOS 9, it's actually the first time I'm taking advantage of Siri outside of setting a timer for when I'm cooking. So like one of my absolute favorite things is my friends will send me all sorts of messages throughout the day and I'm often slammed at work so I'm not able to immediately look at the link that they sent me or reply. And if I'm looking at the message, then I can just pull up Siri and say, remind me about this later. And I don't have to say what this is, but when that reminder comes up later and I swipe on it, it pulls me exactly to that spot in the message. Nice. And then I can look at what they were discussing. Um, So that has been incredibly wonderful for me. The fact that with the 6S, Hey Siri is always on, and I'm sorry to all of the listeners whose devices probably just activated. Um, But the fact that that is perpetually on also is a lot easier than, you know, worrying about whether it's plugged into the wall before I summon up Siri. Um, So that has made it just a like constantly available thing. And it's starting to feel a little bit more and more like I'm Tony Stark. Right. And I do appreciate some of the other optimizations as well. You could change her voice. You can change her accent. She seems to be more attentive because now you don't have to have her plugged in in order to respond to you when you say the magic words. Well, it also just seems like she understands my English better. So when I'm saying, remind me to do X, Y, Z, she doesn't say A, B, C. Yep. And I'm, you know, I'm like, no, X, Y, Z. She just has fewer mistakes along the way. She's a better listener. And so I'm, I'm happy about that. And it's also a, a super subtle change. But one of the things I enjoy most is before there was that Siri activation sound whenever you first pulled her up and then closed out of it. There was a sound, a cue, hey, I'm listening, and then a sound, a cue that it was done. And now it's just a buzz of the phone. So it's a lot more private and it's not as like out there that, hey, I'm talking to my device like a robot. So I just appreciate that subtle change in interaction. Well, there is another topic for us to address, guys. Uh, I think that wraps it up for the new hardware discussion. I know you were making a transition here, Brian. What did you do with your old device? Um, So I am going to trade it in, essentially. I did not go through my local Apple stores um, to do the iPhone upgrade program, which I know a lot of people had some issues with. Um, But I am going to do a trade in either through them or I may just sell it through eBay. I'm still in a little bit of debate. Um, But I've also got some friends and family who have some older devices and they don't necessarily care about having the latest and the greatest. So I may just give that my old phone to one of them to be able to use in the interim while they sort of research what they would like to get. But I think my main goal is to sell it off because a new phone can be a very costly thing. So getting a little bit of return on my previous investment would be nice. Yes, I completely agree. And like you said, there are a lot of people who still appreciate the older hardware. The iPhone 5S is still a solid device, and I can see why some people may still appreciate the 5. I wouldn't recommend using the 4 models anymore, but all along the way, the vari- with the various specs and the hardware, it becomes harder and harder to make these older devices run smoothly on the latest iOS 9 or maybe some older copy of iOS 8 even not working very well for one of the five models. So an issue we're seeing more often these days is 
the issue of trying to tune up these iOS devices to be more useful in the here and now until you make this jump to something new and fancy. What The problem here is though, there isn't a lot of well-documented effective ways to tune up your iOS device or even your Mac device. I mean, there are things you can do, but it doesn't feel like we have a lot of control here anymore. I know in the older days, we had more control over tuning our iPods and our Macs, but with the iPhones and the iPads, it's trickier, right? Because the iOS system is not giving you as much control. So the point here is though that if you, you're not upgrading your hardware, it's going to be harder to enjoy the older device with time as you run into more bugs, as you run into caching issues, as you run out of storage, as your battery is wearing down, as you, it re, it's experienced uh, many like recharging cycles, and now it's just not refreshing as well. Then you have the issues with perhaps new bugs that are introduced because of some old version of an app not speaking well to this particular version of the OS that you are running. And there were people who had a terrible experience when iOS 9 came about that you could not unlock the lock screen on, I, I think it was the iPad 2. For a while there, you'd swipe to unlock and it just would not unlock. It was a bug that was unique to the iPad 2. Th this kind of thing is just something that's annoying for everyone. So at some point, it's really handy to know like the, the rules of thumb, what you need to do to tune up your iOS device. And so uh, I wanted us to bat around some of the things that we've done in the past and ways that we would update our device to make it run new-ish, even when it's an older device. Because there's a lot of people out there who, who need these recommendations and eventually our 6s and 6 pluses are gonna be the older models. And we'll be returning to this list and checking these steps off when we want them to run better. Where would y'all begin, guys? Uh, Joshua, what would you do? I've got a lot of experience with this, as I've uh, said before, trying to run all of these old phones and iPads from year, you know, years past and not wanting to, uh, to spend the money to upgrade, especially on my phone. So when I got my 16 gigabyte iPhone 5, I had planned on keeping it for one year, passing it down to my wife and getting a 6 or a 5S uh, the next year. And I can't remember what happened that year, but it didn't happen. And then something happened the next year and it didn't happen. So what the phone I had anticipated having for one year, I've had for now three years and like three years and several weeks now. So I've got lots of experience on a 16 gigabyte, which is really a 12 gigabyte iPhone uh, <laughs> and trying to keep two gigabytes free so it will run well. I've basically lived inside of the settings, where, where is it? Settings, storage, manage storage. And I'm constantly deleting crap. It's it's a huge pain. But beyond just the tweaking, like, okay, now it's running sluggishly. What do I do? Like, I'm wondering moving forward, because I'd still like to get my money's worth out of these devices. They're little computers. I'm going to use them for a long time. I'm wondering if I have going forward like a, a two-year iOS upgrade rule. Like, I'll upgrade two cycles and then not upgrade anymore. Because it seems like, or maybe even one year, uh, it seems like it's as the iOS grows and becomes more complicated, the the older devices just become worthless. And it's like I don't remember them being this crappy, you know. <laughs> and I'm wondering if it's if it's cash stuff or if it's just the fact that it's trying to run a a, a two or three year newer OS. So I'm wondering if if it just from a strategy perspective. So you're saying if you had the five. Once you get to the iPhone 6, you would stop running software updates because the software updates would get so long in the nose that it would be overwhelming for the hardware. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what's happened. Like, I've got an old I iPad 3 now. It's the oldest thing I've got. You know, it used to run great, but I, and I, I don't think it's just the fact that we've got a bunch of stuff on it because I've deleted everything off of it. I think it's the fact that I've kept up with all of these, the latest and greatest iOS versions, but I don't know. It's just a thought. I, I need to research it more. It's a good idea. And I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It would align with the experience that other people have had. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be intriguing too, to sort of have say two iPhone fives, one running 
the latest version of it, the OS and then another running whatever it initially shipped with and just see what the performance differences are. Yeah. Because sometimes, and I, I believe there was a term for it and I can't remember what it is, but there's a perceived slowing of your device, even if it's still performing the same as it always has. <laughs> that sort of perception is great for Apple in terms of boosting their sales, but is detrimental to customer satisfaction scores at the same time. That's a good point too. You know, you pick up the phone at the, at the store, you go, wow, why is it moving so quickly? And it probably has a lot to do with our human nature, how experientially we get faster as we go through the same processes day in and day out. Like, hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Come on. Hey, Siri. <laughs> Sorry, people. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> we just, we get, we grow impatient because when we say, <laughs> did you hear that? Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Shut up. Okay. So when we are yeah, prompting our devices for something and it's running a process that we, we use 10 times a day, I can see how our brains have grown tired of the wait. And so while our brains are accelerating through the process and we're three steps ahead of the phone, I can see why it would seem like the phone is slower. Whereas when you're using it for the first time or so watching it in a commercial, it's, it's all new to you. So it feels, it feels revolutionary and speedy because your brain can hardly keep up with it. Yeah, and there are even some subtle things like with iOS 7, they introduced all of these sort of animations and motions, the parallax effects, and whenever you open up an app folder, it sort of zooms into that app folder. And those are things that I had to turn off immediately, not because of getting like motion sickness, which some people reported, but mine was that like my thumb was so triggered via muscle memory to tap on the next thing on the screen that if I opened a folder and it went through that animation, I was frustrated because it, it prevented me from tapping into the next step faster. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, so it, as far as tuning up your older devices, the, here were some tried and true things that I've used and I think that Joshua could probably agree with. One thing that we've all done at one time or other when we encountered bugs and we just didn't know what else to do because, say, Apple Music died. It just didn't seem to be going anywhere. <laughs> or we don't know why, but photos and videos are disappearing. Or maybe that camera app just will not open. You always resort to, at some time, resetting the device, falling back on a backup and opening it up and finding that the bug is just cleared away. And it's a fine tuning process as long as you have a recent backup to reset and do a fresh install of the backup to clear out some of the cache, the, some of those bugs. And this is something that I've had the Genius Bar recommend to me, I think, on two separate occasions. And this is a, a tedious process, though, so it's not the first thing that I would do to tune up just any device, but it is certainly a tried and true method that feels like I kind of wish it was just a magic button somewhere under settings general, like clear my bugs, clear my cache, do a simple like whiz bang process of whatever it is you do that wipes out the glitches. When I do a fresh install, press here and it'll perform just that particular action. And it will skip all the process of waiting for this thing to do a fresh install and a fresh backup. But it is what it is, and at least it works. So I haven't ever encountered a situation where doing a fresh install of a backup caused additional problems. It does tune up the device. Yeah, I've seen a lot of success with just an erase and install and starting fresh again, or an erase and install and trying to bring over your backup. Uh, occasionally, backups will actually house an issue, but it's not all that common. It is surprising how often that can fix things or seem to resolve some weird bug or issue that somebody was having. I haven't had to do it too many times on my own devices. I've probably had to do it more with phones, but that's because I get a little risky with my phones and install beta software probably far too early than I ever should. But that's what I get for having a software engineer as a, a best friend and a former co-host on a show. Um, but I've seen so much success with people just doing an erase and install starting fresh. And I also even wonder if there's sometimes just a placebo effect to that where they think, okay, I've done this whole process. It's this small ritual to get back to a solid base. And if that just makes them feel like maybe the issues or the lagginess that they were experiencing has been resolved. Interesting. Yeah, it could be. It could be something of a placebo effect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe. I hope not. I would like to think that the phone is a little bit better for it. I do certainly hope that it's an actual thing that we are experiencing, that it is clearing out some issues for us. Mm. 
Another suggestion that came through from an iMore article concerning iOS 8, this was something I didn't realize, but they were saying you should delete the Safari cache. If the Safari web browser is sluggish, you can clear the cache by going to Settings, Safari, Clear History, and Website Data. You can even do it on a site-by-site -site basis by tapping Advanced Website Data and then choosing the sites that you want to remove. And I didn't know that, but that's pretty cool. Have y'all ever experienced issues with the browsers? I haven't necessarily unless they were like an in-app browser open window, say in Facebook or Twitter, and it's usually those kinds of apps that are the culprit or Pinterest, where it's something between the browser and the rest of what that app can do are not speaking very well together. I know for me, especially with iOS 9, this Safari view controller where it's an actual implementation sort of of Safari that developers can put within their app so they don't have to do their own in-app browser. Um, and I've seen so much better performance as a result of that. And then if you use content blockers, those would work in the app as well. Um, but I've not ever experienced too much sluggishness with Safari. It's always been incredibly impressive for me in terms of speed and performance. And I've tested, you know, Chrome on iOS, but it wasn't something that I stuck with and I'm not the biggest fan of, of a lot of Google services. But on the Mac, I've also always used Safari and that I will experience some sluggishness from here and there. And so I'll switch over to Chrome or Firefox and test one of those as well. But it's something where I feel like I so rarely browse the web in its browser-based form. And I do most of my internet usage through apps that are communicating to a service that is on the web. Well, this is an interesting sticky topic because there's a lot of people who don't know all these things that will do a good tuning. So one of the other things I would check out, guys, and it, it has helped me in the past, was to go into background app refresh. And to get there, you go to settings, general, background app refresh. It's so easy to overlook those things in settings because it gets very wordy in a list. And if you're not aware of what Apple's terminology could be for background app refresh, Maybe you're not looking for those terms to find these particular settings. But once you get there, you'll see a list of what apps are using data and cellular in the background to keep updated so that it, should you open them, you'll just see everything from Facebook updated automatically and it won't you won't have to wait for a load time. The problem here is, is that this will drain your battery and it also wears down the processors, you know, what the processor is doing and what it can do with the foreground apps. So it's a pretty good idea to turn off those apps that you don't want to be running in the background at all, ever. And even realize that there's some apps that want to run in the background that you may never even bother to use. And I found that to be the case with two or three when I was looking through the list today. Now this raises uh, an issue for, I think, uh, the user. Like, which apps do you care about the most? And you want those probably to be refreshing in the background all the time. So the more of those apps you can eliminate from the app refreshing list, the better. Just turn them off, and at a later date, if you figure out that that's something that's impeding you while you're, you're using the app, go back there and turn it on. But one here for sure that I would recommend you deactivate is the Facebook app. That is until I saw this update on Mac Stories today. There's a piece here, the background data and battery usage of Facebook's iOS app. And this was um, put together by Federico Vitici. He was linking to an article by Nick here, commenting on Facebook's battery usage on iOS in response to a piece by Matt Gilligan. We have, make no mistake, this is a user hostile experience. Facebook is actively creating channels to continue refreshing their app in the background when the user has explicitly stated that they do not want it to. Ironically, the best way to reduce the battery and data consumption of the Facebook app in the background is to switch background app refresh back on. <laughs> Better still, remove the Facebook app from your phone and perhaps replace it with the paper app, which is available in the US only. <laughs> so that is Facebook for you. And they're just gumming up the whole thing, making it harder for, harder for us to tune our devices. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I The Facebook app is terrible. It it will grow in size until it takes over your phone and you just have to delete it and start over. I've pretty much every two or three weeks just, just delete the thing for a week or two and then reinstall it. It will just keep growing. It's it's insane. 
But you don't have to worry about that with the newer device, right? You're getting up to 64 gigabytes? Yeah, I do, but I, I still don't want the thing to grow to be gigs. I don't know if it would grow that large, but I mean... Uh. I don't think anything is going to stop them. I do recommend if you are a Facebook user, I have Facebook, but I so rarely actually engage with it. But if you are in the US, that paper app is beautifully designed, actually, and doesn't seem to have as many of those issues as the regular Facebook app does. So that might be something since you're starting fresh with a, a new phone and a new setup would be maybe switching to the paper app instead of that traditional Facebook app. Yeah, I definitely will. I definitely will look at that. Well, and something else that you brought up earlier, uh, Joshua, will just touch upon this. I think that this is one of the rules of thumb that is more commonly known and practiced is to free up some of the storage space on your device. If you can, you want to have more than 500 megabytes of free space. Uh, that's what a lot of the articles commonly recommend. And some will say, get one gigabyte of free storage space. But I, I, I dare say, you really want more on your older devices to be free. I don't know why this seems to make a difference, but it does. Yeah, it's huge. What I commonly would do is have two gigabytes free on my devices when I was running my 4S, my 5, and then the, yeah, I, I think I had a 5S. Yeah, I had the 5S. And on all three, it mattered a lot to try and keep two gigabytes free. Yep. With my 12 gigabyte phone here, uh, I've pretty much tried to keep it at two gigs, two gigs free. And it, there's a huge difference between that and like 500. It, it's just, it runs a lot faster. Yeah. As a tip that I often give to a lot of people, I'm a bit of a minimalist by nature. So with my closet, one of the things I'll do is sort of at the beginning of like a new quarter or something, I will hang shirts that are ones that I don't think I wear all that often with a hanger backwards. And if at the end of that quarter, it's still hanging backwards, then I need to get rid of that shirt. And I do the same thing with apps on my Mac and my iPhone, and I will store them in a folder if I feel like I haven't used them for a while. And if after a few months, I still haven't actively gone into that folder to pull the app back out, then I delete all of them. I was wondering what you were going to do when you, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I hang my apps on the icon, on my home screen backwards. I'm like, how do you do this? <laughs> Interesting. That is a good idea. I kind of like the, the extras folder or the, the junk folder or all those other apps. I wish we could hide mm -hmm. in parental controls or restrictions or something. There's all those extra apps like Stocks, Compass. Uh, if I could do anything to get rid of them, I would. Yeah, especially with Stocks. While I have Stocks, I don't use the Stocks app. I prefer various other third-party apps to do that. Um, and like my account is managed through E-Trade, so that's the app that I use. And I do wish that maybe in iOS 10 we will see the ability to finally switch default apps. That would be excellent. That's a very good suggestion. Submit that to the Apple people. Oh yeah, there are a whole bunch of us sending in that feedback forum. <laughs> well, lastly, there, there are plenty of other tips we could get to, but we're running short on time. So, I, But this is such a big and important one. I thought we have to address this, and this is uh, managing your battery life. This is probably the surefire best way to give an enhancement to your old phone. If you can do anything to improve your battery life, it'll feel like a newer device. So uh, uh, apart from uh, like battery cases for the phone, which I'm not too crazy about because they're so expensive. I would like to see what you could do with other things. Again, the background app refresh is a good thing to, to look into. Stop Twitter and face, Facebook from doing background app refreshes if they're not so important to you. But also see what apps are consuming the most battery on your device. And you note that the Facebook and Twitter apps aren't major offenders necessarily, not consistently across the board, but they are for a lot of people. And I say this because we all like to rant against Facebook, but if you're not using the Facebook app all that much, it just being on your phone is not going to cause an issue as long as you hardly ever open it. At least that's been my experience. I have Facebook on my phone, but I maybe look at it once a day and that's when I'm on Wi-Fi. And I have hadn't any experience uh, with problems for my battery life like so many other people seem to. I think a lot of the problem for Facebook is when you're using it over cellular. Uh, I know that's what I've seen from a lot of firsthand experience in my own use, and then also with friends, family, and others that I've helped with iOS devices. And Facebook is probably the biggest culprit in terms of like battery life waste that I've seen. But I don't know if that's necessarily because the app is so hungry to use battery or people just get lost in Facebook for far more time than they do any other app on their device. 
Yeah, far more time than at least they realize they are. Mm -hmm. So the other thing you can do is limit your push notifications to select apps, those notifications you really need to get. Do you need to get the notifications from, you know, all the games on your device? And you probably don't. You probably need the notifications from alarms, though. Timers, maybe your email from your VIPs or from just that those business clients. So maybe you have an app that is specific to your professional work that is managing your email for you. So you want those push notifications. But when it comes to Facebook, I would say it's counterproductive to leave the notifications on. And, I, you know, when you go to Facebook itself, you have a section where all of your notifi- new notifications are listed. And I think that that's good enough to, if I want to see notifications there, I'll get them within the Facebook app. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. And I know a few people and some of my friends even who've just turned all notifications off completely. And it was initially just sort of a test of focus because they were constantly being distracted by their devices, being constantly connected. And they seem to be a lot happier knowing that if they're going to their device, it's for a purpose versus it's just hollering at them. And that's also something that I've come to love about the Apple Watch is I can quickly glance, see what a notification is, and then not get distracted by pulling up my phone, opening the notification, and then suddenly I'm reading my RSS feed and I'm selecting a new podcast and I'm browsing the web. I think we also get distracted by notifications. And once we're in the phone, we just start going through our regular routine and wasting a lot of battery life that we didn't intend to use. Interesting. I'll have to attempt that. I hadn't tried it just to activate all the notifications, but that's an interesting idea. And I should think that that would make an improvement to the battery life. So it's worth a shot, especially for the older devices. Again, if you can get those notifications from your computer or from another device, another Apple device, and you're worried about how this one is managing battery life, then maybe just deactivate them on the older de- hardware, you know? Yeah. And when it comes down to, a, I guess, a life philosophy, one of the things I liked about, uh, I guess, Four Hour Work Week, which is a book that came out a couple of years back, was he talked about batching things in your life. And he got it down to where he was checking email once a month, uh, running multi million dollar businesses. So, I mean, that, that's obviously an extreme, but uh, I think. Tim Ferriss is extreme in every sense of the word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, it makes sense, you know, to, thoughtfully be in control of your life and schedule and, you know, how, you know, setting, you know, thinking about these things before you do them and not be uh, driven by bells and whistles like dogs. Yeah. (laughs) One of those other bells and whistles is what happens in notification or sorry, in location services for the device. Does it annoy any of you how Twitter wants to latch onto your, your location? That's just something that kind of perturbs me about, the camera apps, the miscellaneous camera apps are like, okay, turn on your your location. We've got to have that information stamped on every picture and video. And I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do with this. This is a question about privacy. You know, what are you going to do with this information? I wonder sometimes. And that is another one of the, this is my last point concerning the optimization is that if you want to tune up your device, be wary about what apps are using your location and deactivate the ones that you don't need to be sharing with. Because as long as it's tracking your location in the background, it could be background app refreshing that app to give it your location. And I found that when I was in there and uh, today, go to settings, go to privacy and go to location services, there was about 30-ish apps that was listed there as potentially using location services. And there were apps that were recently given, like today within the last 15 minutes, uh, my location, but I hadn't used them all day. I had not used some of those apps all day. And it was just one of those little annoyances that realized this is actually draining down my battery ever so slowly, but all the time. And this is especially important for devices if you don't have a plus device. Uh, so anything you can do to manage your battery a little bit more skillfully, turn off those apps that are using your location that simply aren't benefiting you and what you use your phone for. Yep. And if you want to get another year or two out of a device, uh, open up the back and, and throw a new battery in. They're about 20 bucks on Amazon. Takes about an hour. There are YouTube videos that'll walk you through every step. Oh, yeah. I've, I've done it on multiple multiple devices. Joshua, that's scary. Have you done this? Both iPhones and an iPad. Yep. Really? Fascinating. See, I did. I tried that once and I broke my screen. Well, I'm, I'm also an electrical engineer, so I mean, I'm used to this kind of stuff. Actually, it's not too bad. I, 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 get, a, I, I get a piece of paper out. I get uh, 
packing tape or big thick tape and I'll, I'll make like a loop and I'll put it I'll put make like a matrix uh, and then I'll put these little tiny screws on the little pieces of tape you know and, and you just go step one through 20 and then you just go backwards so all the little parts are right in order so yeah pretty easy I'm also a huge advocate for Apple Care Plus in case you're not an electrical engineer and want to just <laughs> take it to somebody else and have them <laughs> replace it and know that it's not going to mess with warranty or anything. Well, I'm talking about old stuff anyway, so it's like, yeah, if it breaks, get a new one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't argue with these two extremes. Both work for different kinds of users. Brian, thanks for joining us today. I, th- I think it was a little bit rushed because we wanted to cover a lot of ground, but uh, I do appreciate you hanging in with us and uh, we covered a lot. So. You want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter and elsewhere online? Yeah, so on Twitter, you can find me at Brian M. Brush, and that's Brian with a Y. And similarly, brianmbrush.com, which I'm slowly updating more and more with a bit of an education focus. Um, so if you're at all interested in education and technology and some of the new trends and the field of education, you can find some info there as well. Um, but those are the probably the two best spots to find me. And hopefully at some point, Apple Music will have a social service where everyone can listen to all of the music I'm listening to. <laughs> nice. I'll have to check that out once I get back to Apple Music. I turned it off for just a little while, but I expect I'll be back before Christmas. Yeah, I, r- I really hope they had a feature. All right. Well, thanks, guys. This completes episode 28 of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash 28 for all of our show notes and links. If you want to connect with us, we are at Tectonic FM on Twitter as well. You can find our website, which is tectonic.fm. And send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. We'll always be happy to hear from you if you have a message for us. And if you want to catch up with me personally, I'm also on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. And my co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer. His last name spelled P-E-I-F-F-E-R. Thanks to those people who have checked us out on iTunes and have been subscribing. We've been getting a lot more listeners lately, and this is pretty exciting. If you're enjoying what you hear, give us a review on iTunes and let us know how we could serve you a little bit better during this podcast. And uh, anything that you'd like us to work on in future episodes, anything that you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please give us a shout on Twitter and let us know what topics you're interested in. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to Tectonic. Bye-bye. Uh, maybe I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always good to have a longer outline than, uh, we've never run out of outline. That's, that's a good thing.